Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. It seems that anything you do today could be seen as a a political motivation. Any move that you make on social media, any move that you make with your business, do you have an American flag up? Oh, that's a political motivation. Do you not have a sign up supporting this cause? That's a political motivation. You won't engage in designing this kind of cake? Well, that's all your politics. And some people have utilized that to try and destroy others. Others have seen opportunity within that to allow certain groups and certain people to flourish. And certainly amongst the political right, we have seen that boycotts have been effective. Like, for example, when you try and shove transgenderism down the throat of people who just want to drink a Bud Light. And when you tell the political right they're not welcome in certain spheres, whether it be in the marketplace or in the marketplace of ideas, because of what they believe, certainly. We should all be opposed to such nonsense. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. That is Michael Seifert right there. And Michael Seifert saw that opportunity in the creation of Public Square. There it is right there, publicsquare.com. You can actually go to S-Q-U-A-R-E, publicsquare.com, as opposed to just public S-Q as it was before. And now it's kind of multiplying on itself because in my beloved Indiana, Michael, you are coming. There's going to be a town hall that with uh, Congressman Jim Banks, who is the Republican candidate for U.S. Senate, and Donald Trump Jr. That is happening in Indianapolis on November 6th at the Nevermore Union Station. And you can get uh, you, you can actually show up to it and be a part of that. But first, let, let's start with the basics. What's going on with Public Square? How's business? Business is booming. It's uh, been an amazing experience building this parallel economy. And it is growing rapidly, which is truly a testament to the Americans that are fed up with the Bud Lights of the world and they're ready for alternatives. It actually gives me a great deal of hope for the future, knowing that people are not just frustrated about what is, but they're actively trying to accomplish something that's an alternative. Uh, I I love that. It gives me a, a lot of excitement and hope about the future, knowing that the power structures of society, the profit centers are actually shifting back toward the values of we the people because consumers are saying, I'm not just going to boycott. I'm actually going to put my money somewhere else positive and proactive. So that's fantastic to watch. What's also pretty cool is we're coming to Indiana, as you mentioned, so that we can actually represent the voices and the values of America's small business community in the arena of politics. This will be the first of many public square town halls we do as we head into the election season. And we can't wait. So so let's stick with just public square just for a, a moment, because I do want to get into this town hall because it, it, it's my backyard. These are these are my people. This is where uh, I'm headquartered out of with, with all my programs. We have seen that people who have tried to play in the space that you are playing in. Oh, well, we can't give you server space here. Oh, you can't have your app on this uh, platform over here. You seem to have avoided those issues or you have maneuvered them deftly. Uh, What has been what have been the impediments that you've had to face and what is the the ability to overcome? I'd say that we've learned from the circumstances of those that have gone before us. You know, when Parler was canceled from AWS and from the app stores, we looked very intently as to why. And we wanted to understand how we could bring on lawyers that could help us fight some of those legal battles in the event the same thing were to happen to us. 
And we try to be very proactive about making sure that uh, any of the moves that we were making uh, were intentional and thought through so that if we were to get hit for them, as we have many times, we would be prepared with a response. So it's all about wargaming and making sure that we are five steps ahead of what the adversaries to our movement may try to do. And another thing it looks like is being very honest about the cancellation risk, not denying it and uh, confronting it uh, by actually making sure that we're partnering with vendors that will not cancel us. So as we've partnered with vendors over the course of this journey, in many cases, we've actually required in writing legal documentation that these vendors will not cancel us for our political views or for bad reputational press. Funny enough, although I don't know that I'd necessarily call this funny, I may regret that, but the reality is multiple vendors have said, we actually don't want to work with you. We actually might cancel you if uh, you, you have a political view we don't agree with, and we're glad we know it on the front end. So we stay away from those folks. So the goal over time is to consistently build more of our own tools that we utilize in-house so that we don't even have to deal with other vendors. But to the extent we have to deal with other vendors, we are going above and beyond to make sure that our armor is impenetrable. And thankfully, it's working. Talking to you, Michael Seifert, the CEO over at Public Square. Uh, the first of all, having to build all your own tools is not an easy game to play. That is a capital intensive, time intensive uh, uh, process. But you said that this town hall was about representing small business. That town hall coming to Indianapolis, this will be on November 6th at the Nevermore Union Station. Uh, and it is going to take place not only with Congressman uh, Jim Banks of, of Indiana. He's in the Indiana 3rd uh, District of Fort Wayne area, and he is running for Senate. And also Donald Trump Jr. Your words were this was representing small business owners. Talk me through how this, this town hall takes place and where does the representation come in? It's a great question. So our platform, we have over 70,000 vendors on our platform today, and 97 plus percent of them are small businesses. So these business owners are salt to the earth. These businesses are American owned and operated. They're run by a family. Uh, they have a story to tell and they have served their communities faithfully. That's the business entities that we are so proud to support and represent. Uh, unfortunately, many of the platforms today, like Amazon, uh, have actually made it their sworn goal to essentially only elevate the businesses that can provide them the most enterprise value, which means that small businesses often get stifled and never really get a voice. The Chamber of Commerce, similar deal. The Chamber of Commerce claims to represent the voices of America's business community, but we all know that that's a farce. The Chamber of Commerce has proven to be a bureaucratic cesspool that only represents the values of the special interests. So there's a big void here. We have this incredible business community, they have a voice, they have values, they have desires that they want to see manifested in policy and in their local community decision-making. And it's well past time that their voices get to be heard on the grand stage. So what we're doing is starting the town hall series with folks like Jim Banks, with folks like Donald Trump Jr., so that they can actually speak to the issues and take questions from the small business community represented on Public Square. There, there's a lot that's often said about chambers and how they aren't representative of all, the representative of the largest. Uh, it, are, do you hear that from your members? We absolutely do. 
In fact, we hear it uh, most often in reference to the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, but we even hear it in different local uh, chambers as well. It's unfortunate that the concept of a business community group that would serve the interests of its members has become distorted because that is a really pure concept. It's a wonderful idea that you would have the different houses of finance and consumer spending and retail, et cetera, join together to make their community better. That's what the chamber should be. It's just departed so far from that original intent in many communities around the country, none more prominently than the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. The U.S. Chamber of Commerce claims millions of members. We know, though, that that active member base is now much smaller, and they're supposed to be more of a fiscally conservative organization. We also have found that to be untrue. And so when you have a business community like ours, when we polled them last month, they said that uh, their number one concern, more than inflation, more than uh, high cost of goods, more than consumer spending. Their number one concern is they have zero trust and faith in their elected leaders and the bureaucrats in DC. When that's their number one concern, you can see how clearly this business community needs to feel like they finally have someone at their back. That's what the chamber should be. They've left that responsibility behind, so we're going to pick it up. Talking to Michael Seifert, the CEO of Public Square, publicsquare.com. So uh, for first things first, for the people in the Indianapolis area or who want to take a trip, it's a lovely place. Come visit. Uh, oh, is there a place they can go to get their ticket? Uh, you can actually RSVP, reach out to us uh, at publicsquare.com. Uh, you can either email us at support at or info at. Uh, you can also show up at Nevermore Union Station and uh, we'll be glad to accommodate. Uh, if you reach out to us at publicsquare.com and you go to our investor page, you'll actually see an announcement there as well where you can learn more details. And uh, we would love for folks to come and join us at the event. Let us know too, if you'd like to, if you do sign up and you RSVP, you can actually leave a question as well so that uh, you can have a chance for Jim Banks or Donald Trump Jr. to actually answer your question from stage. And uh, we'd love to host the, the com proud community of Indiana. So you are moderating uh, the, this this thing, and and I have done a fair amount of moderation uh, of, of of these types of events in my life. And while I've never, I have interviewed uh, former President Trump before, and I speak to Congressman Banks often. I've never had a conversation with Donald Trump Jr. But you're dealing with some very Type A personalities here, Michael. I didn't know if you were aware of that. I figured I'd help you at this moment and explain this to you. What is it that we can expect what are the you know is 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 it truly a small business focus event or is this a rah-rah vote uh for uh this candidate for president event that's a great question we actually don't endorse any candidates at public square so we uh, stay out of primary races. We stay out even of general races. We do not endorse candidates or political parties. We endorse values and principles. And the values of our small business community have been forgotten and ignored for far too long. So when we have folks like Donald Trump Jr. or when we have folks like Congressman Jim Banks and they're coming together, they're speaking not as, the, not as a political leader and the president's son and an elected official. They're speaking as concerned community leaders whose only agenda that evening is to make the case for why they, with their uh, community leadership, are trying to make the business community of the United States a more prosperous environment. That's their only goal. So this is not a campaign event for Jim Banks. This is not a campaign event for President Trump. This is an opportunity for small businesses to have their voices heard by some of the leaders that we trust most on the conservative side of the political aisle. Can you give me one question that you're going to ask? Tease us in. Let us in softly. One question that we can be guaranteed to hear at, at this town hall on November 6th at Union Station in Indianapolis. 
you know, the big concern right now from our business owners is inflation. Uh, obviously besides the lack of confidence in elected leaders, uh, but inflation in terms of the economic challenges businesses are facing, that's the number one concern. People are really struggling with the rising costs of goods. And so we have many questions that have been lobbed that evening of how is it going to get any better under Republicans? So let's say the pendulum swings. This is a question I love. Let's say the pendulum swings and we have a conservative government. What are they going to do to curb inflation and get us out of the mess that's been created? Another great question I love is that, uh, how are we going to recover from the disastrous COVID mandates that have decimated America's small business community? What are steps we can take in our own communities to kind of pick back up the pieces because so many businesses are closed? Another great question we got, Tony, is what do we do for access to funding? So much of private equity today is uh, robbed by the Blackstones of the world that are these sort of monolithic conglomerates that want nothing to do with the values and the interests of America's small business community. How are elected officials supposed to confront that challenge? I'll give you one more that I really loved. And this is how do we get corporate interests out of politics so that small businesses can compete again? I love the questions. I don't know what their answers are going to be. I'm certainly curious to hear. I think this will be a pretty fun event. Coming back to to, to Public Square, publicsquare.com, where where full disclosure, I have no financial interest in Public Square whatsoever. My father is an advertiser. He he is an advertiser. His uh, merchant services business is an advertiser over Public Square. If I didn't say it, I'd get in trouble. I don't want to get in trouble. So uh, the the, the words get said. Um, Are you finding that in this economy, people are turning to themselves and creating small businesses? Is this something that um you you have seen or maybe surprised that you haven't seen i'm actually seeing a surprising amount of folks that are creating businesses uh in fact we know this firsthand because we have many entrepreneurs that reach out and ask for our help in creating small businesses you know the parallel economy is a very enticing and exciting concept there are a lot of young entrepreneurs that have had an idea that has recently been brewing there's also a lot of older entrepreneurs that have had an idea for 30 years and yet they've never really executed on it and our encouragement to folks is that the time is now if you market your products in a way that's filled with excellence meritocracy, integrity, and quality, you'll be amazed at the hoops that consumers will jump through, even in trying economic times to prioritize your products and services over and above some of the uh, corporate monopolies that we've uh, seen these days that have special favors from the government. So we are seeing businesses start. I actually just recently spoke with a uh, shoemaker. Uh, It's kind of a wonderful story. You haven't heard a great story like that in a while. Uh, but we have a great shoe company on the platform called John Candor. They make great leather shoes, dress shoes, casual wear. And this company reached out and they said, hey, we've got kind of a mountain ahead of us in terms of challenges to conquer. But with Public Square, we're feeling like that mountain's getting a little smaller and we can actually overcome some of the typical hurdles of starting a small business because we have this immediate economy to press into for customer acquisition. So it's an exciting time to be a business owner if you're going back to the basics of business. If you're trying to do the whole ESG thing and the whole DEI thing, starting a business right now would be a nightmare because you're not just having to worry about your shareholders and your customers. You're having to factor in the climate and marginalized communities and all these other things. We got to get rid of that. Got to focus on the basics. And if you do, your business will succeed. We're seeing that time and time again. Michael Seifert, he's the CEO of Public Square. The town hall with Donald Trump Jr. and Congressman Jim Banks in Indiana, in Indianapolis, November 6th. You can go to publicsquare.com, click on that investor tab and learn all about it or info at publicsquare.com and you can get uh, your, your was it, is it tickets? 
to attend what we call tickets. Is that what we would call the thing? Uh, just RSVP. Yep. No cost. Just come and join us. No RSVP. We or, uh, No no cost of attendance. Just come and join us. We'd love to have you there. And uh, you can also find it at publicsq.com slash events. There's a lot of ways. We try to put it out in front of a lot of different areas. So you can't miss it. If you're in Indiana, we'd love to host you. Michael Seifert, publicsquare.com. The information I will put up at Tony Katz. Dot com if you want to go and attend the town square. I think I'm going. I do think that, that I'm going. I don't have a, a, any like official part. I'm just going to go and see what happens. I'm Tony Katz. This is Tony Katz Today. The border is the top story in America. I know there's a war in Israel against Hamas, a terrorist organization that murdered 1,400 Israelis that wants Israel wiped off the map and wants all Jews dead. And I know they're supported by college campuses all around the country and the squad, the progressives, these communists who call themselves democratic socialists in Washington, D.C. and elsewhere. I know that. I know China is a continued threat. I know where the economy is. And wait till you hear about what's going on with real estate. I've got that coming up. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. Great to be with you. The border is the story. And I know the border's the story because they won't admit to how bad it is. How many people has this administration let in by encountering, processing, dispersing, or that have come in as a known uh, or, or unknown Godaway? What, what, approximately. I don't need an exact number. So what do we got? Senator, let me, let me, let me I, say. I need numbers. I, again, don't filibuster me. How many people has this administration led into the country? Let, let me say at the outset that uh, our job would be a lot easier if the broken immigration system was No, Mr. Secretary, I want a, a number. How many people have you led into this country? I, I should also How, uh, Okay, let, I'll, I'll give you the number. It's about six million. He won't answer the question. It's broken. It's been three years. It's on you. It's on Congress. Oh, now, wait a second. It is absolutely on Congress that Republicans and Democrats have not engaged the multiple policies necessary in order to keep the border secure and the country safe. But that would involve certain political parties recognizing that you're allowed to have a border to begin with. The numbers are flabbergasting when you take a look at them. Like the idea that there have been 600,000 illegal immigrants who have evaded law enforcement, known as gotaways. Now, sometimes a person could be a gotaway in one sector, right? They got away from Border Patrol, but then picked up in another place. In this, according to Mayorkas, there are 600,000 known gotaways. 600,000, never mind. You heard Senator Ron Johnson there from Wisconsin talking about 6 million. The amount of people coming into the country is staggering. And the fault can be laid everywhere. But to not answer the question is to cover up. And then to say, well, the problem is the system is broken. You now want to say it's because of you in a political party and not because of Congress and Toto. If the if the Secretary of Homeland Security would say, here's the problem and here's what Congress has not done about it, America would be behind him, would be behind Border Patrol. Congress isn't giving you the tools. But nope, that's not what Mayorkas does, which is one of the many reasons why Mayorkas should be dismissed, why his failure is so absolutely complete. 
You want to pretend you can't do the job because of what Republicans have done, but the issue is what Congress has done, and you won't be honest about it because you won't look your own boss in the eye and say, you're not doing the job here. And they're not doing the job here. And the situation gets worse and worse and more dangerous for all of us. This is Tony Katz today. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. We have been saying time and time and time again that this economy is not in a good place. It's not because I want it to be in a bad place. It's not because of my own personal issues with Joe Biden policy and philosophy. No, it's because reality tells us that these things aren't good, that prices are still high going higher, that inflation continues and the high interest rates will continue because it isn't working, as if Jerome Powell is indeed fighting against the Biden administration to try and bring this economy to heal. And one of the places we're seeing the issue is the real estate market, a real estate market where we're being told that housing has come to a standstill. Now, there might be pockets, there might be places, but when you're seeing interest rates at 8%, what was the 30-year fix the other day, 8.09%? Who in the world is buying a house at those numbers? Historically, not bad. In recent times, horrific. And now we're reading in the Wall Street Journal that it's affecting commercial real estate? Well, one has to assume that housing affects all of us. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you. Lance Lambert joins us right now, formally of Fortune Magazine is where you found him. Now he is the proprietor of Resi Club. You can find it all uh, there on the social medias, residentialclub.com, your data-driven gateway to the heart of the U.S. housing market, resiclubanalytics.com. Let's start with these 8% interest rates. Historically, yes, not the highest we've seen, but clearly 8% was enough of a psychological number to bring housing to a screeching halt. Yeah, and so what we've seen here is that we've seen housing affordability deteriorate at the fastest pace ever. And that'll happen when you have U.S. home prices on a national level between March 2020 and today jump 45% as measured by the Case-Shiller Index. And then as the run-up in prices, which kind of slowed down a bit after spring of last year's rates went up, Well, following that, interest rates went from 3% to 4% to 5% to 6% to 7% to 8%. And so this shock for buyers who would go out in the market or even people who were thinking about selling their home and then buying something new, it's just staggering. And so the affordability in the housing market and also autos, because the same thing is happening over in the auto market too, where prices overheated during the pandemic and then interest rates shot up, just housing and autos, the two biggest things in you know, middle-class people's lives have just gotten so much more expensive so quickly. And that so quickly uh, is leading, the, the, when you look at the numbers, I should say leading, uh, means when you look at the numbers, it is cheaper to rent in America than purchase a home in, in America. That level of backwards, how often does that something like that occur? And what does that signal to housing guys like you and others? Yeah. So right now, the divide between prices, if you were to buy in the purchase market, you know, go out and buy a home, that monthly mortgage payment 
versus renting is it, it one of the biggest divides ever in history. And really the last time we saw this was like 06, 07, 08. That was a bit of a different story. You had the subprime crisis, all those bad mortgage products and a ton of inventory on the market. But this time it, there is a big divide. And so there's a question of how over time do these fundamentals get eased? You know, the industry would hope that mortgage rates would do a lot of the work if, you know, they could rein in this, uh, you know, inflation, keep it down, and we could get the growth rate of or, or get mortgage rates down a bit. That would help to ease affordability in this divide between buying and renting. Uh, the other thing is, you know, in a, a lot of the uh, owners of a lot of single family homes are hoping that rents do a lot of the catch up, right? Because the divide is so big, if prices don't crash, then rents would have to do a lot of the work to catch up. We're going to have to wait and see. Right now, there hasn't been a ton of momentum in either direction there. Rents have kind of, yeah, they're ticking up a little bit, but very low. Mortgage rates have not come down at all. We're still up right around 8%. We're pretty much sitting at 23-year highs as we speak now. And so as of now, you know, the affordability is about as strained for rent to buy as it's ever been. Talking to Lance Lambert, you find his work over at Residential Club on X Twitter, ResiClubAnalytics.com, former real estate editor for Fortune Magazine. Uh, the, the issue looking forward is that people like myself say, well, I guess I'm not buying a house anytime soon. I looked at, I've talked about this before. I looked at a house a few months ago. I'm like, I would want this. And the interest rate was 7%. I'm like, this does not make sense. And I don't trust that in a couple of years, the rates are going to come down and then, oh, everything's going to be fine. I'll be able to refinance. It'll be easy. The rates have now gone, gone up to 8%. But you posted the other day, I shared it on the show, and I think it was Wells Fargo or somebody else saw saw uh, 30-year fixed mortgages in 2025 at like that 53 5.5% level. These were the people who got yep. it very wrong for 2023. Why would I trust, whether it be Wells Fargo or any other uh, a bank uh, analyst, uh, about where rates are going to go? Yeah, so coming into, well, coming into 2022, a few of the firms that thought in 2022 rates would pick up to maybe four maybe four and a half. And the next thing we know, by the end of 2022, we were up to 7%. So it was a big miss last year on mortgage rates. And then coming into this year, a lot of them thought that we would come down on rates, that we would go into like the mid fives or very low sixes. And here now we're almost at 8%. Uh, you know, and a lot of people, depending on their credit score, are getting quoted in 8% or even 8.5% right now. And so, yeah, rate, they, the forecasters have been missing big for a while. And one big reason, though, is that the economy on the, in the labor market has held tight. Despite all of these rate hikes, despite the deteriorated affordability, the labor market has kind of held tight there. And so if we went into a recession, I do think they would get their, their calls probably right. If we go into a recession, we probably would uh, get rates coming down uh, and maybe even fairly quickly for mortgage rates. But we'll have to kind of wait and see 
to see if that plays out. But, you know, that's not exactly, you know, a paradise scenario either. It's, you know, <laughs> it's probably a scenario for the, for the short term that we're either in very high rates where we are today or it's we've come down a bit on rates because we got that recession uh, from the Fed-induced uh, rate hikes. Those rate hikes, that's where people are watching. This was CNBC earlier today, Lance. Treasury details plans to step up size of bond sales to manage growing debt load and higher rates. When the housing market looks at that, what do they say to themselves? Yeah, I I think uh, what they're watching right now is to see how the financial markets interpret it. Where is the 10-year Treasury yield going? Normally, there's a spread of about, you know, 175 basis points, 150 basis points between. uh, And and so when I mean basis points, like 1.75% difference between the 10-year Treasury yield and mortgage rates, the 30-year fixed. But right now, that's at 300 basis points or three percentage points. So if the spread was normalized, that would be about, we would have mortgage rates of about like 6.9% today or 6.5% given where the 10-year is now. But the reason that it's that high is there's so much uncertainty in the market and the Fed is pulled back as a trader uh, or buyer of MBS securities. So, yeah, the, the housing market is very closely watching what's going on in the financial markets and what's going on in the bond market. And at least the past six months, they haven't been happy. So let's talk about who else isn't happy. Uh, somebody who needs to sell their house and somebody who needs to buy their house. Uh, they, those people are pretty miserable right now. In my anecdotal looking, right, I'm, I'm here in Indiana anecdotally, uh, I, I, I look and I see for the first time over the past few weeks, price decreases, price cuts to houses. Is this a subset uh, regarding my uh, small area of central Indiana? Or is this the nationwide story that the while the inventory may still be slight, there's not even a market for the slight inventory and the price cuts are here? Yeah, so what we've really seen is uh, a, a decent amount of resiliency on the price side relative to how fast mortgage rates have went up. Price, house prices have not really tanked, um, you know, and they've kind of held firm. And then even in some, you know, Midwest and Northeast markets, they ticked higher this year. But right now we are seeing the seasonality. We are in the weaker seasonal period at the end of the year for the housing market. So there are going to be some price cuts. People who list in this window will probably not get as many offers as they would like um, and might not even get the price point that they would like. Um, Now, the big question is, if we are moving into a bigger correction for some of these markets, which some places like New Orleans and Austin, Texas, are in very much correction mode on prices, but if we're moving into one for more markets, you really won't start to know until as we move into the spring when we move into that stronger seasonal period. If we move into the stronger seasonal period and like this spring, you know, we get a good amount of activity, prices hold firmer, inch up higher, then obviously we weren't in a correction yet for the broader market. But if we go into it next year and uh, it's still just like it is outside today, then, you know, that would be worrying for us. Uh, uh, 
you know, th that would be a sign that maybe a broader correction uh, had begun. You had mentioned, as as I uh, follow you uh, there um, on your on your Twitter feed, your your X your X feed, I guess is what we call it uh, now, um, that let you know the lawsuits have begun. This is this is uh, how you put it there at News Lambert on uh, Twitter X, that the lawsuits have begun. Um, this is about a. a I'm I'm trying to follow it myself, and I find it very, very difficult that there is a pretty large-scale lawsuit um, against Compass, EXP World Holdings, Redfin, Weikert Realtors, United Real Estate. It, it's it's huge, and I'm trying to figure out what in the world this is. The National Association of Realtors is also named as a defendant, just as a, a concept of overview. What is this lawsuit against some pretty big real estate groups and what is the possibility of problem that it creates? Yeah, so the the lawsuit that uh, the jury had awarded $1.8 billion in damages yesterday uh, was a class action lawsuit and it was against Home Services of America, the National Association of Realtors, and Keller Williams were the defendants. And the plaintiffs uh, uh, had claimed that uh, those groups had conspired to inflate commission rates. And the jury agreed. Um, and so, uh, you know, one of the things that has gone on for a, lot of, a long time is that a lot of sellers have paid, you know, around a 6% commission on their home sale, three being to the, bu uh, the buyer's agent and then three being to their agent. And, you know, like one of the plaintiffs in the case, uh, you know, her agent took essentially 21% of her net equity. And then the buyer's agent, who wasn't even her agent representing her, took the other 20%. So for, effectively, a 40% of her equity was gone when she sold the property that she had had for several years. And uh, the, the jury agreed there that she had kind of gotten uh, stuck in that situation and so really where we go from now is a lot of uncertainty and a lot of lawyers making a ton of money because it isn't just this case. And this case is going to get appealed. They've already said they're going to appeal the case. Uh, there's also the fact that there's around like six other cases uh, out there. And the fact that the DOJ right now is considering a case, according to the New York Times, or no, according to Bloomberg, considering a case against the National Association of Realtors. And so if the DOJ jumps in, uh, th that would be pretty significant as well. So right now, the big question is, was yesterday a small quake or the first tremor in something much, much bigger? And the much, much bigger if the DOJ should jump in is, is what? Well, we'll, we'll have to see. Uh, but uh, it, it's potentially... The end result to all of this is potentially squeezing the commissions uh, that real estate agents and brokers uh, get from sales. But we'll have to kind of see how it all plays out. And, and keep in mind that the jury uh, trial, uh, the, the jury yesterday that had awarded the plaintiffs $1.8 that is going to get appealed. And the judge also still needs to weigh in on some of the implications. 
Lance Lambert, News Lambert on the X Twitter. He is the co-founder and editor of Residential Club, analyzing the U.S. housing market. You can follow on the X Twitter at Residential Club or ResiClubAnalytics.com and get the know before other people do. Lance, always appreciate you taking the time. More is coming up. Find everything at TonyCats.com. This is Tony Katz Today. As I said, not afraid. I don't live my life uh, afraid, and you shouldn't either. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. That I'm Jewish, I should somehow be in fear because of what's happening on college campuses, because of the pro-Hamas protests? No, 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 no. And you should not live that way. But we should be aware of the people who learn nothing from this. I was discussing it earlier. I can't say it enough. I've been having these conversations privately as well to the chagrin of friends, Jewish and, and otherwise, who can't accept the fact that John Galt was right. No one cares whether you like it, whether you like that it's political, whether you like that it's too rough or, or you dislike that it's too rough or you hate that it has to be said. No one gives a damn. And it's time for everyone to just grow up and deal with the reality. Anti-Semitism is not new. The Jew haters have been around for years. And they've been supported by the political left, protected by the political left, protected on college campuses by administrations and professors and tenure and those who are donors who knew they were bad people and still gave anyway because they like their names on buildings. It's time for all that to stop. It's time for people to make other decisions. If you're a Jew in America, what matters more, your survival or abortion rights? Which is also a matter of survival. Changes have to come to how people vote and who people respect and protect. The political left needs a reckoning, and yes, Jews need to recognize what's in their best interest. It's time to grow up and deal with reality. Tomorrow, everyone, I'm Tony Katz. Take care. Take care.